Good morning. Okay, so here's the deal. I went to the Ducks game last night. Okay, there's a couple of Ducks fans in here. Okay, so it's the playoffs, right? So because it's the playoffs, when you walk in the stadium, they give you these things, right? And you're supposed to do this with them. And it's kind of loud when 17,000 people do it all at the same time, right? So it's pretty cool. And they give us these towels, these terrible towels, and you wave them like this, right? And so, and, and it's the playoffs. So if you've never been to a playoff hockey game, it is just crazy, right? And everybody is nuts. We have the worst seats in the house, literally. We're in the corner in the top row leaning against the wall, right? The ceiling is touching my head. My back is touching the wall. And I'm looking down, and I am just thrilled to be in the building. And we're there like a half an hour early, and we're just waiting for the game to start. And as we're waiting for the game to start, on the scoreboard, they have this, this countdown clock, right? Like we put up here on Sunday mornings. And it's just counting down to game time. And when it got to four minutes, all of a sudden, the room goes dark. And the music begins to play, and it's like this low rumbling music, and people just stand up, and they just start whacking these things, and everybody gets all into it, and they're just pumped, and people are just going nuts for four minutes waiting for this game to start, and then when it gets to the point when the clock hits zero, the room goes completely dark, and they just put this spotlight on the ice, and it grows out, and the music is playing, and the people are going bananas, and they haven't even dropped the puck. The game hasn't even begun yet. And then as the game goes on, it's like a tight game. It's tied with 19 seconds left. The Ducks score the game-winning goal, 19 seconds left in the game. And the roof came off the place. It was so incredible. And as I was there, I was asking Ricky if I could come up and talk about this this morning because it made me think of the countdown clock. And it just made me think about how how we put this clock up so that you know like when to be in your seats and when to be ready and all that kind of stuff and, and when the worship is going to start. And I started thinking about that and I started thinking about, you know, how much enthusiasm is there in our hearts as the countdown clock begins to click for us. And I came across this passage of scripture I wanted to read to you guys. Um, it's in Revelation chapter 5 and it's this picture of heaven. John gets this vision of heaven and he gets a glimpse into what's happening in heaven and in heaven, here's what's happening. This is Revelation chapter 5. John says, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The picture is that in heaven there are bowls of incense and the smoke just rises to God's nostril. Our prayers, our praise, our worship, the saints' prayers going up to God. And all of that's happening. And then it says in verse 9, And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads. And I didn't know how many was in a myriad, so I looked it up. A myriad is 10,000. 
10,000 times 10,000 angels. You know what that is? A hundred million. A hundred million angels around the throne and the 24 elders and these four living creatures that are talked about in the book of Revelation. And look what they're doing. It says, they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And the thought that came to me was, you know, it's amazing when we think about these hundred million angels surrounding the throne of God, and they see the Lamb, and they just break into this praise. And you know what occurred to me? This is every day for them. This is normal for them. They see Jesus, the glorified Jesus, every day. Now, how old are these angels? Now, they've been around a long time. And every day they're in the presence, the manifest presence of the Lamb of God. And every day they worship Him with all their hearts. And I started thinking again about our countdown clock. And as it counts down one minute, 30 seconds, and then one minute, and then down to 30 seconds, and down to 15, there should be a buzz in our hearts that just says, I'm about to enter into worship of the living God. And so I just wanted to share my enthusiasm with you guys today because you have been invited today to an incredible, incredible event. And I wish we had those thunder sticks to give everybody and we could just, but since we don't have those, let's lift our voices, clap our hands, shout and praise God and give him everything we have and leave nothing behind as we worship him. The band's going to teach us a new song, and it's based on that passage I just read you about our incense rising to God along with the angels. Let's join the angels and worship God with all of our hearts today. So back at the beginning of the service when I came up with my orange thunder sticks and told you about the Ducks game... <clears throat> My point, I hope you figured out, was not to tell you that hockey games are really fun. My point was to tell you that God is really awesome. And, and so what I shared with you during that time was really the introduction to my sermon. So I want to just put it back in your head for a second. I want you to get back for a moment to that place in, in Revelation chapter 5 where we see this amazing sort of glimpse of heaven and and I'm not going to tell you exactly how to view it. John doesn't tell us exactly how to view it. I don't know what those four living creatures are and what they look like. And I don't understand all about the bowls and the seals and all of that kind of stuff. But I just want you to get this picture, this heavenly picture of Jesus seated on the throne. The Father and the Son right there. And then, and then 100 million or more angels gathered around the throne. And even that 24 elders um, bowing down, casting down their crowns upon the sea in the presence of the Lamb of God. I want you to get this picture in your mind. I don't want you to just listen to me talk about it. I want you to actually make an effort to sort of get a picture in your mind. And, and no two of our pictures are going to be exactly alike, but you need your picture. It's going to be really important that you have this picture because um, you're going to need to hold on to this picture because that picture of this exalted Jesus who is so worthy to be praised 
That is the context for what I'm about to share with you for the rest of this message. Because the Word of God is amazing, right? Um, sometimes God uses the Word of God to just encourage us, just to, to help us remember it's going to be okay and that we're on the right track and just to hang in there and just to infuse us with courage. And sometimes He uses His Word to teach us stuff, just to give us information that we need and we're going to need in life. And sometimes He uses His Word to convict us and sometimes He uses His Word to challenge us. And and as a as a pastor and a preacher who's committed to preaching His whole Word, there are going to be times when there's going to be sermons that I preach that are going to be so encouraging, and there's going to be some sermons that I might preach that are just be really teaching-oriented, and you're just going to be gathering some information that's going to help you in your walk with God, and there are going to be some times that I'm going to preach a sermon that God is going to want to use to convict you or to challenge you or call you out, and you're going to have to just sort of sit and squirm a little bit while the Holy Spirit works on your life as the Word of God comes forth. And I want you to have this picture of Jesus, this amazing, worthy Lamb of God in your mind, because today's message is one of those make-you-squirm kind of messages. It's one of those messages where <clears throat> I think God wants to call us up higher. He wants to challenge us and say, listen, I have a better <clears throat> picture in mind for what your life with me could be, and I'm going to challenge you to go there. And so <clears throat> in today's message, I just want you to always keep this picture in your mind of this exalted Jesus and how worthy He is, because He's going to ruffle your feathers a little bit today. And you're going to maybe have some situation where you're going to be like, man, I, I just, I, I'm not liking this at all. In fact, you know, I th maybe I'm just going to get up and leave. I'm just not, I don't need to sit here and listen to this. And so I just want to tell you all of this up front so that when you get to that point and you're feeling really uncomfortable and you're feeling kind of mad, I want you to be mad at God and not me. That's what, that's what I have in mind, okay? So <clears throat> I just want you to have that picture. Don't lose that picture. Do you remember when Jesus was preaching? It's in John chapter 6. You don't have to look this up, but in John chapter 6, thank you. I appreciate that. As my daughter, she knows that I can barely talk because I've been sick all week. So anyway, <clears throat> picture John chapter 6, right? So in John chapter 6, Jesus is preaching, and he's got this humongous crowd, okay? Probably somewhere around six to seven, maybe 8,000 people that are there that day as Jesus is preaching. And he's been working miracles, and the crowd's been hearing about the miracles, and the crowd is growing larger and larger. And all throughout John 6, you can take it home and read it this week, all throughout John 6... He, he, he's just preaching, and he keeps changing subjects, and it seems like every time he changes the subject, it gets a little harder to listen to, just a little, a little bit tougher and a little bit more confusing. And, and basically, it doesn't say this in the text, but when you get to the end, you find out that this is what happened. Apparently, as he was preaching, just as people got sick of listening, they just got up and left. Because it tells us that when he got to the end of his sermon in John chapter 6, he gets to the end of his sermon that began with an audience of six or 7,000. He looks up and there are 12 people left. Everybody else left during the sermon. Now, thankfully, I have never had that happen to me where, where everybody left during the sermon. I've had some people glare at me through sermons. And I've had some people write nasty notes to me during sermons. And I have had some people get up and walk out while glaring at me during sermons. But I have never finished the sermon to look up and find out that 99% of the people were already gone. So I'm going to hope that doesn't happen today. And I want you to picture this in John chapter 6. Because Jesus is saying things like, 
um, you know, uh, you can't follow me unless you're willing to eat my body and drink my blood. And people are like, that's disgusting. That's ridiculous. What, does that, what is he talking about? I can't listen to this. And people are getting up and they're leaving. And then it finally gets down to where there's 12 people left and it's just the 12 disciples. And G- they, they were the ones who came with him. They're like, he's their ride home, you know? That's, they're still there. And, and he says to them, basically, what are you doing here? Aren't you going to leave too? And their answer to him is precious. They say to him, Lord, to whom would we go? Because only you have the words of eternal life. And, and there are those times when God's word, is, it's hard. But we need to hear it because it's the words of eternal life. Because you know what? There are a lot of people who are willing to follow Jesus, but only to a point. And whatever that point is, you get to that point and you say, you know what? Enough of this. I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't need to be radical. I don't need to be one of those fanatics. I'm just, I'm just a Christian, right? I don't need to be like crazy. You know, I don't need to like give up stuff and I don't need to like, you know, change my life. I just want to go to church. Is that okay? And there's a lot of people that just want to follow Jesus to a point, but eventually they shrink back because their faith is not deep and it's not mature or maybe it's not even genuine. And so they, they, They just filter off and they're gone. Do you realize that right now, right now while we're meeting today, you know, we're not the only church meeting on Sunday, right? That there are other congregations all around the world that are meeting today that are singing praises to God right now. Right now, as I'm speaking, there are churches filled with people who are singing hallelujahs and praise the Lord and they're, they're singing these songs of praise and the Lord is not listening to them. Did you realize that? There are actually people right now who are on their knees crying out to God, praying for something that they desperately need from God, right now, praying to God, and God is not hearing their prayers. I don't think we think about that sometimes. But the Scripture says that there are times when God will not accept your worship And there are times when God will not even hear your prayers. Because, see, the love of God is unconditional, right? Amen? That's really, really good news. The love of God is unconditional. And if it wasn't unconditional, we would all be toast already, right? So it's wonderful how gracious and how merciful He is and how He gives us unconditional love. But let's not get confused into thinking that since the love of God is unconditional, that Our walks with God are unconditional, that our relationship with God is unconditional. There are things that will or will not happen in your relationship with God that depend upon your behavior. They depend upon your attitude. They depend upon your heart. And and God says, if you don't don't participate in your part of this, I'm not going to respond to you. And it's, I mean, like Isaiah 58, you know, again, you don't have to turn there. We're going to turn to some passages today. It will take you long enough to find. But Isaiah chapter 58, okay, there's this, this what they call it a solemn assembly. It, it would be something like, um, you know, um, the National Day of Prayer in America or, or maybe some giant uh, revival meeting with, you know, Billy Graham or Greg Laurie or something like that. 
And the nation is sort of gathered before God, and it's a day of fasting and prayer and sacrifices. And there there are specific things that they do. And they come before God to fast and to pray and to sacrifice. And the people are doing all the things they're supposed to do. And God speaks to Isaiah the prophet to them while they're all gathered on this solemn assembly. And God tells um, Isaiah to say to them, hey, everybody, I'm not listening to your prayers. I am not accepting your sacrifices. I don't care about your praise. In fact, this whole thing stinks to high heaven, God says. And the reason is because you've come here today and you're all laying down on your face and saying, oh, we love God, oh, we love God, and you're bringing your sacrifices. But every other day of the year, you oppress the poor, you show no mercy to those who need mercy, you show no justice. You, you walk right past a hungry person and you don't feed him. You walk right past a naked person and you don't clothe them. And so you expect me to just watch you live like that. And then because you set aside a day for fasting and prayer that I'm supposed to be all giddy. This is sort of my um, paraphrase. I don't think God said that. But that I'm supposed to be all giddy and excited that you came and did this. He, he said, you know what? Shut up and go home. I don't even want to hear it from you. That's God, the merciful one, the the unconditional love guy, that's him. He says, you cry out to me and you expect me to hear your prayer? Are you kidding me? Forget it. He says, don't bother with your halfway religious activity. I'm not interested in your hypocritical worship. You know, get your heart right for me and then come to me and then let's connect. But if you're going to live one way and then talk the talk, I don't even have time for you. See, God's love is unconditional, but following God, certain parts of it are conditional. I mean, in James chapter 1, he says that if you need to pray, pray. And God is so faithful that he answers prayer. But then he says, oh, by the way, when you pray, if you doubt when you pray, don't expect to get an answer because you're not getting an answer. In James chapter 4, he says, if you pray, but you are praying selfishly so you could spend it on your own desires, don't expect you're going to get an answer to that prayer because I'm not even listening to that prayer. In 1 Peter 3, this is interesting. Uh, Wives, nudge your husbands right here. This is the husbands need to hear this. In 1 Peter 3, God speaks specifically to husbands, and here's what he says. Uh, Again, I'm paraphrasing, but you can look this up. He says, Husbands, you need to honor your wife as a cherished vessel. And if you don't honor her, don't bother praying to me because your prayers will be hindered. Because you don't love your wife. See, there are conditions to the give and take that happen in our relationship with God. And it's the same way with our worship. We can't just assume that because we all come together on a Sunday morning and we all show up and we sing songs and we do all that kind of stuff that God is pleased. Um, I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Amos. And uh, you probably don't know where it is. So the first one to find it, Ricky will give you (laughs) $1,000. You can can look it up in your table of contents or... You got it? Okay, pay her. he'll pay you afterwards. You take a check, right? Um, so Amos chapter 5, it's right toward the end of your Old Testament, okay? If you get just to the very end of the Old Testament, go a few books to the left, you'll find Amos. It's right around Joel and Hosea and right after Daniel. So Amos chapter 5, 
And if you've never studied the book of Amos, this, this book will blow your mind. Because the nation of Israel has basically turned its back on God, and Amos is the prophet who comes out and speaks for God, and he pulls absolutely no punches, and he tells Israel what God thinks of their lack of justice, their lack of mercy, their, the way they oppress the poor, the way they're hurting people, and still they come and try to worship him. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 5 of Amos, verse 21. This is God speaking. These are strong words, right? Here's what he says. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sounds of your harps. Now, you're thinking, but but Lord, have you heard our band? They're good. The songs here, you should, you should listen to that, right? And, he, and here's the thing, in all seriousness, you take the band members, the musicians, and there's different faces up here every week, so many talented people, right? And what they, what they can do musically, they work their tails off learning to play this music really, really well. But if you think for a second they're doing it for you, you do not understand. Because it's done for God. It's an act of worship. And so when our heart's not right, and we're, we could be playing our instrument perfectly, singing our notes perfectly, we could be posing in the very spiritual pose, we can do, be doing all of that kind of stuff, and yet God looks at us and He goes, I think it's noise. I think it stinks. He says in verse 24, instead, what we should do, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? And the answer to that is yes. For 40 years they were in the wilderness and they always made these sacrifices and they, gave these, they had these times of worship. But look at verse 26, he says, you also carried along Sikath, your king, and Kiyun, your images, the stars of your gods which you made for yourself. These are false idols that are that they worshipped in pagan lands in Egypt where they were sun gods and um, one was the god of Saturn and they actually worshipped the planets and the stars. And he said, while you were giving me these offerings in the wilderness, you were bringing with you your household idols from Egypt when you lived in a pagan land and you were taking and pitching your tents in the wilderness. And I was going before you as a, as a, a pillar of fire by night, as a pillar of cloud by day, and you were going into your tents and you were setting up an altar in your tents and putting your little idols on your altar. He's saying, do you think I didn't see that? You think that meant nothing to me? And look what he says in verse 27. He says, therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. You want to, you want to play religious games with me, God says? You want to sing, holy is the Lord, and make your grain offerings while you got an idol in your back pocket? He says, I'm not having it. In fact, if you're so in love with these idols, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will let a nation come in and capture you, a nation that worships idols, and you will serve them in the house of their idols and see how great that is. He says, I'm not, I'm not interested. I don't want to hear your worship. Here's the thing about God. 
he's kind of full of himself. He seems to actually think that he's a big deal. He seems to actually have this idea that somehow he is great and mighty and majestic and holy and that he is above all things. He has this idea that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords and that everything else is something that he made and that everything else ought to bring him glory. He actually thinks that of himself. Talk about stuck up. God really thinks he's that special. And because he thinks that special, he's that special, he thinks that everything he created ought to make it their aim to honor him. He won't even listen to our songs and our music. He'll have no regard for our offerings if our hearts and our lives don't match the words of the songs that we're singing. He is a great God. And he actually believes that he deserves our, bear, our very best. There's another um, seldom read passage in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Malachi. It's, the, it's easier to find. It's the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. So turn to Malachi chapter 1. Man, these Old Testament prophets, some of them, they don't pull punches. Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Listen to what God's saying. This is right the beginning of the prophecy. Right here at the beginning of chapter 1, he has some stuff to say that is going to be hard to hear. Listen to what God says. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord God of hosts? But now... Will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part? Will he receive in any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. From the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. See, in the Old Testament, the, the, the Jews were commanded by God to bring certain sacrifices to God as a part of their worship. They were to bring uh, the first fruits of their grain if they were farmers, if they had, if they had grapes from their vineyard or they, they grew wheat or corn in field or something like that. They were to bring the first fruits, the best of it, the very first of the crop. Not wait to see how the crop turned out and then at the end go, we have some left over and then bring that to the Lord. No, the very first that came, that it was a matter of faith. It was a matter of trusting God. It was a matter of giving God your best. 
And if you raised animals, you were, you were required to bring of your flocks. And you had to bring a lamb, a male lamb who was spotless, one that was perfect. And you had to bring it and you had to give it. And, and what the people were doing was they were waiting till the end of the harvest and bringing whatever was left that they couldn't sell in the market. And they were, they were taking, you know, if there was like a, a, you know, a blind sheep that had three legs, you know, they, they would just take that sheep and they would bring it and say, well, let's give this one to God. And God said to them, would you give that to the governor if that was your tax? And if you did, how do you think he would treat you? Think he would receive you kindly? You, you bring this kind of stuff to me and you offer it to me and it's supposed to come up to me as an incense and I'm supposed to go, oh, look how they're praising me. He goes, I'll tell you what, it makes me sick. I don't want anything to do with it. Don't bring it anymore. And, and, and we who, who live in the age of the church, we don't bring animals to sacrifice anymore. He says we are to be a living sacrifice, that our whole lives belong to God. And so is it enough to go through the, the routine of worship? Is it enough to make sure that you get to check off your Bible reading every day and that you come to a worship service on Sunday mornings and, and then you, you live however you're going to live the rest of the time? Is that, is that honoring to God? Well, of course not. And we know that. Is it, is it right for us to come in on Sunday mornings and sing, you are the only wise God and to give Him glory and honor and praise when we know that we have idols all over our lives that as soon as we walk out of this room, we're going to go back and just bow down before those idols again. Is that cool? Do we expect God to go, oh, isn't this wonderful? See, the hard truth is that much of the time, our whole approach to worship is backwards. The way we think about worship is backwards. I mean, this, wasn't, this wouldn't work today because I'm getting on your case about this, but it, if it was a different Sunday, and, and, and right after the worship service, you met some friends for lunch, you know, and they were coming from their church, and you're coming from your worship service, and you meet at Mimi's Cafe, and you sit down, and you're having lunch, and they say to you, how was the worship service? What, what, what kind of thought would go through your mind's catalog to answer that question? You'd be thinking something like, oh my gosh, they played this new song and I didn't even know the words and they expect us to sing songs we don't even never heard before. Like, I don't know about that. I, it was hard for me. I, it was hard for me just to enter in because it was a whole new song and, and it felt like the music was too loud this week and, and so that was hard for me. And it was freezing in there. Oh my gosh, I don't know who controls the thermostat but I am telling you, I was freezing to death and it was just so hard and the pastor went on and on and on and there was like no jokes in the whole sermon. Ah, so that the, 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 sir, the worship wasn't great, right? We tend to think about whether the worship was great or not depending on what it did for us. See, the, the question is not when you come to the end of a worship service and, and, then, and you say, oh, this is a great service, and how do you know? Because when you're done, you go, wow, that was good. No. The measure of a great worship service is that when we're done, God says, wow, that was good. And that we know that we laid our lives down, our hearts down, our very beings, and there was sincere connection with the one true God, and He was pleased. God's not thrilled just because we show up. He's a great God. 
He deserves our best. And His Word says, my name will be magnified. My name will be praised. My name will be exalted. And he, I mean, he looks at people and goes, you know, you don't want to do it. You're lost. But somebody's going to exalt my name. Somebody's going to live for me. Somebody's going to actually enter in and worship me. He says, my name will be praised. And he is not going to accept halfway worship. And church, we need to hear that. Because you know what it's like for us? It's a picture, you, you just got your paycheck, right? So you hustle down to the bank, you get there before the bank closes, you cash the whole check, and you have just a wad of money, right? You come out of the bank, and you got a load of money, and you're thinking, what am I going to do? Oh my gosh, this is awesome. I have all this money. What am I going to do with all this money? Well, well actually, I have to pay the mortgage, so I guess, well, then I have a car payment. I have to pay the car payment, and then you got to eat, right? Groceries, I have some groceries. Oh, and then I, I owe student loans. <laughs> Who doesn't owe student loans? You got to do that. And then, um, uh, you know, we're going to, well, we have cable TV. <laughs> we got to have cable, so we, we do that. And then we're going out with some friends, so just, you know, entertainment. We're not going to do a lot, but, and then we have, uh, oh, that's like the kid's allowance, so... Oh, look, I got some Lent. I got a quarter, a dime, a nickel, and two pennies. Here you go, Lord. And then we're shocked. It's like we can't believe that God doesn't look down from heaven and go, oh my gosh, look, look what he gave me. Look, there's so, like, look what, wow. See, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Pastor. Didn't he say that that widow, she just gave like two pennies, right? And that she was honored for what she gave, right? So you're telling me that if I just have a little to give to God, that's not enough for God? Now, let's remember the point of the story that Jesus told about the widow. It was not how much she gave. It was that she gave it all. That's why she was honored. See, we do it backwards. We go, once I've done all the things that I think are important for me, then if there's anything of my heart left for God, I'll give him a little. If there's anything of my time left for God, I'll give him a little. If there's anything left of my money for God, I will give him a little. If there's anything left of my affections, my devotions, my energy, I'll give him some. But, you know, I've got some stuff I got to take care of first. And you guys, we've got it backwards. He says there in Malachi, you know what I wish? I wish somebody would just shut the gates to the temple and lock the doors. So you can't even come in here with that stuff, those leftovers. Why even start the fire to burn the altar? I'm not going to accept it. And I'm not talking about money. Money is the smallest thing we give to God. It's our whole lives. And we think maybe some of us, you know what? The pastor's being a little rough this morning. Shouldn't, shouldn't God be happy? I'm here, you know. I could be a lot of places right now. I, I turned down an invitation to play golf to be here this morning. 
you know, my favorite team is playing on TV right now, and it's the playoffs, and I could be home watching that right now. And you know what? We come in here, and, and we're going to sing these songs to God, right? I don't even like to sing, but I sing. I mean, so I sing some of the songs. I sing sometimes. I sing. And shouldn't I get some credit for that? I mean, you know, at least I'm not out robbing banks. Shouldn't God be happy with that? Look what it says in verse 11. It says, my name will be great. It will be exalted. Whether what you want to do is come and give me your half-hearted attempt or whether you want to give me all of your life, somebody's going to lift up my name. And Jesus said, if these do not praise me, the very rocks will cry out. And didn't we read that in Revelation chapter 5 when he said that, he, he said the angels sang and then we went down a little further and he said, and then everything on in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, every created thing sang, worthy is the lamb. Everything, the rocks, the trees, the bugs, the crickets and the fish, everybody stopped and sang, worthy is the lamb. Everything he has created was created to make his name great to give Him glory, to honor Him. And before we get defensive and before we start thinking, well, you know what? I'm trying. Give me a break. Listen, guys, it's not my desire to beat you down. It's not my desire to make you feel terrible because you're not a good enough worshiper. I'm just trying to give us some perspective. And a couple of times a year, I bring you a message like this that is meant to shake you up a little bit and to say, am I, have I fallen into complacency or am I really giving my whole heart to Jesus? Because all you got to do today is go home, turn on the television news, and you will see pictures of Christians around the world who are being crucified and beheaded right now for the name of Jesus Christ, and His name is being exalted where they are. And we need to stop and say, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. We can't expect God to be impressed with our leftovers. If we're really going to say that we're followers of God, can we also say that we're going to show up and worship as long as we're not too tired? You know, as, as long as we don't have something else to do, as long as the music is good and the temperature's right and the sermon is dynamic, I'll be there for that. But otherwise, I, I don't know. And, and let's not be shocked when I'm standing up here saying, listen, there are sacrifices God doesn't want because he's told us this from the beginning of time. You remember Cain and Abel? One sacrifice is acceptable and one is not. And God has never pretended it was any other way. He expects us to give him our best. Now, I want you to turn to the book of Revelation again, lest you say, oh, well, you're just looking at the Old Testament and the way God used to be, but God's different now because this is the age of grace. I want you to see Revelation chapter 2, because in Revelation chapter 2, we get this picture of a church. It's the Ephesian church. In your Bible, there's a book called the book of Ephesians. It was written to this church. It's a letter written to the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus. And, and the church at Ephesus was one of the strongest, most powerful, most dynamic churches in the first century. And Jesus is addressing the church at Ephesus here in Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to begin <clears throat> in verse 1. Listen to what Jesus says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. That's Jesus. 
I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Wouldn't that be awesome just to have God, just to Jesus show up at Grace Fellowship today and say, I just wanted to tell you guys something. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for holding on to the word of truth. I'm so proud of you that you persevere even through hardship and that when you hear false teachers, you know they're false and you reject them because you know the word of God. I'm so proud of you that you have hung in there and that you have, and that you have held fast to the truth. What a great compliment Jesus gives this church. But then he says, but in verse four, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. You left your first love. Your doctrine is impeccable. I mean, you understand your Bible backward and forward. You could teach a class on apologetics. You are amazing in the way that you will not put up with, <clears throat> with sin in your midst. You will not put up with false teaching in your midst. You are known as a church that stands for the Word of God. And with all of that being said, he says, and you know what? It doesn't matter because you forgot about me somehow while you were memorizing doctrine. You stopped loving me. I've stopped mattering to you. I stopped being the apple of your eye. I stopped being the motivation for your action. I stopped being the thing that you couldn't stop thinking about. Somehow you lost me in all of your churchiness. You lost me. And what does he say to a church that has lost sight of him? Verse 5, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. That means turn around and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And in the book of Revelation, those lampstands represent the life of the church. He says, if you do not get back to loving me and letting that be the motivation for everything you do, I'm just going to snuff you out and you will cease to exist as a church. They were doing all these things right and Jesus hated it. He said it has to change. But this message is not meant to be a downer. I, I'm, I'm really not trying to pile on because, because also in the book of Malachi, just turn there real quick and, and let, let me give you some context. Because also in the book of Malachi in chapter 3, again, last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says this. He's been talking to them in Malachi 3 about their financial giving, and he's been telling them to give 10% of their income to the Lord. And here's what he says in, in Malachi 3.10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessing until it overflows. See, God doesn't get on our case about this and say, I am trying to take away your happiness. I'm trying to make you miserable. I'm trying to make you sorry you ever met me because you're never going to live up. You're never going to be good enough. He's saying, I have a plan for your life that if you would actually make me everything and you would just give me your whole life, I will pour out blessings upon you, the likes of which you could not imagine. You are missing real life, Jesus says. 
because you're not making me everything. God's not trying to make our lives worse. He's trying to give us something. Our God is an awesome God. But it's not going to be okay if you just hear me preach this and you say amen. And you go, wow, we needed to hear that. Unless something actually changes in your life. Unless you actually do business with God and say, Lord, I want to make my worship real. And not just when I sing songs. Singing songs is a wonderful part of worship. But how about when I'm at work? How about in my marriage? How about with the way I respect my parents or how I treat my friends? What about the way I handle my money? I don't know what it is you're going to have to do in order to move to a different place in your walk with God, but I want to remind you, God deserves your everything. So rather than me trying to lead you in a prayer or get you to be convicted or something like that, I just think the best way to respond to a call like this is to actually worship God. And so one of the ways we do that is through song. So I asked Ricky to grab a guitar and just take a minute and just, let's just, let's just make it all about Jesus for, for a while. Let's just focus on Him. Give Him our whole lives and our praise. is just speaking to our individual hearts this morning. Let him say what he needs to say to you. Don't shrink back. If he's calling you to just lay down some kind of idol, you just have to understand that idol is never, ever, ever going to fulfill you. And he will if you just lay down the idol some relationship, some habit, some approach to life, some dream that you're dreaming for yourself that doesn't match God's dream. And there's just going to have to be a time when you say, God, I am yours, and that's it. And you just let it go, and you say, God, take me. I'm not much, but you can have all of me. And we give ourselves to the Lord like that. He does things that we could never imagine. So my heart's desire today is not that you would leave here feeling beat up or hurt or sad because God has such a high calling for your life. My heart's desire is that you would leave here today motivated to actually live for Him every moment of every day and never take a second off of being all His. And as you do that, you're going to experience those overflowing blessings of God's grace in your life. He sees you through the eyes of His of the blood of Jesus. He knows you're not perfect, but He has called you His own. And now He goes to where you are, and He says, come with me, and I'm going to take you to where you need to go. Don't hesitate. Let Him take you. Let me just pray for you. 
Father God, we just want to ask that our whole hearts, our whole lives, our minds, our bodies, our, our um, dreams and hopes, our aspirations, all of our resources, everything connected to us would be connected to you. That there would be nothing left that we say, this is mine and God can't have it. That we would not just see you as an addition to our lives, but you would be the center of our lives in everything. God, I pray that for each person in this room that that, that sort of release, that sort of surrender would result in that abundant life that you have promised to all of us who will trust you. Father, may you be glorified and lifted up. May our idols be forever cast down and smashed to bits. And may you alone receive all the glory because as you said, your name will be great. May your name be great among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.